Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything smart cities, action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I'm the host of the Chronicles, and when I'm not doing this, I'm Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for the region uh, here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, welcome to episode 62 of the Chronicles. Uh, again, bringing you an episode in a time of uh, much um, sort of uh, challenge globally with the COVID-19 uh, epidemic that is um, challenging many of us. Um, but on the upside, it gives us the opportunity and, and me in particular to be at the desk and speak to some fantastic people on this podcast and joining us uh, today all the way from um, from Arizona is uh, Dominic Pepper from the Arizona Commerce Authority. Dominic, so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So um, we, uh, we've got a large footprint in terms of listeners scattered around the world. Uh, can I start by asking you point blank, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Dominic Papa. I am the vice president for the Smart State Initiative at the Arizona Commerce Authority. So in that role, I am tasked with helping uh, lead the kind of emerging technology strategy uh, policy and programs for the state of Arizona for the governor's office. However, it's been quite of an interesting journey up until this point. Um, I do like to say that I'm a recovering city employee. So I actually used to work for the city of Phoenix here in Arizona fifth largest city in the country, uh, and I was brought in to be the technology policy advisor. So right before my time with the city of Phoenix, I had been working for a tech startup company, but also getting my master's degree in city management. I wanted to become a city manager. I had a very, very um, uh, civil service heart. And so uh, I was able to, at that time, see the intersection of the culture of a tech startup and then the culture of local government. And so I actually did my master's thesis on the intersection of technology and local government, how technology was completely changing the way local governments were delivering their services. And so once I graduated, uh, City Councilman Gates at the City of Phoenix hired me to be a technology policy advisor. I helped transform the City of Phoenix into this globally known smart city. So imagine that, here I am coming into the city, fresh off my master's degree with all these big ideas, thinking I was gonna change the world and bring all this technology investment (laughs) into the city of Phoenix and I was immediately hit with a brick wall. I was a little naive, you know, um, politics, bureaucracy, red tape, processes. You, we all know the story. So, so everything, that, everything I say is true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we could not get anything going from inside the city of Phoenix, you know, and here we were the fifth largest city in the country. We could not get anything going. And so, um, at that time, we started to get really frustrated. I started to get really frustrated, and we did a lot of research on traditionally well-known smart cities. I think we all know them, Barcelona, Dubai, Hong Kong, you name it, and said, okay, how are these cities doing these big projects, bringing this technology investment into their communities? And here we were, the fifth largest city. We couldn't get anything done. It was at that time that I realized that they all had some sort of outside organization, some independent group that could sit in the community that could really drive technology and innovation forward from the outside in. And so I took a look around uh, the city and in the region, and I said, do we have anything like that? The answer was no. And so I spun up a nonprofit called the Institute for Digital Progress. And the sole focus of that nonprofit was to be a do tank, right? To partner with governments and allow them the mechanism to build partnership and drive the practical application of technology in the community. 
we were really used to leveraging nonprofits all the time within cities. I mean, we needed a playground in the park built. We would spin up a nonprofit. The nonprofit would work with the community, raise financing from industry partners, turn around, give that money, give the awareness to the city. The city would build a park and we would be successful. But we had never looked at this model uh, in terms of technology innovation. And so I uh, started the nonprofit. All of a sudden, we started to get projects up and off the ground within the city of Phoenix. It, it was at that time that other mayors from around the region really started to see what we were doing and seeing how the success we were able to make. And next thing you know, we were working with those cities and the cities surrounding us. And uh, fast forward two years, and we had a handful of projects going on throughout the region with various cities and various state agencies. It was at that time that we had the ability to kind of step back and see how we were doing compared to the rest of the country. And what we realized is that we were just scratching the surface, right? So we were able to see what Dallas did with launching the Dallas Innovation Alliance. Columbus was able to do by winning the DOT grant and turning that project into a $140 million future mobility project. San Diego at the time was doing the largest rollout of IoT sensors in the country. Uh, Denver and Austin, Texas were both really, really moving forward in this space. And so we had a chance to look at ourselves and say, okay, how are we going to compete with all these other cities that had such a big head start on this space, in this space? Uh, and what were we going to do to succeed? We started talking to mayors, the governors, city managers, economic development directors, uh, university professors and leaders. And what we came to the realization was that our competitive advantage here was who we are. So I want, you, I want to run some numbers by you and some figures. So here in the greater Phoenix region, we're the fourth largest county. We're the fastest growing in population for the last four years in a row. We have the fifth largest city in the country, who's the largest, uh, fastest growing city as well. We've got the number one largest public research institution in Arizona State University. We've got the number one largest community college district in the country. We've got 22 jurisdictions all slammed up right next to each other in this region. We thought to ourselves, what if we could get those 22 cities, towns, and one county to think together, act together, innovate together, and then procure technology and infrastructure together? Could we create a smart region and outscale everyone else that's focused on building smart cities? So we realized scale was our competitive advantage. And, and so that was the vision that we had uh, with the nonprofit as that community partner sitting at the middle. Uh, we formed the Smart Region Initiative, now called The Connected. It proved successful. We officially launched it in November of last year. Um, and that's when I kind of got tapped by the Arizona Commerce Authority. Uh, they saw the impact that we were able to create by building one smart region in the state of Arizona. And they asked if we could help them build a smart state. And so uh, I've left the nonprofit. I'm now working at the Arizona Commerce Authority to see how we can take what we built in the smart region and scale it out throughout the state. So I'm excited. It's a, it's a fabulous time. Um, it's a perfect time to look at partnerships around smart cities, smart regions, and smart states. Uh, so excited to share my story with all of you. No, thank you for that introduction. Let, let's, um, this, this is fascinating. Let's just sort of start with some um, sort of structural uh, understanding here. So um, you went from the city, uh, you then spun up the, the, the nonprofit. Now the Arizona Commerce Authority, where you are now, um, it, it speaks on the website, it speaks to it being an entity of, of public private partnership arrangement. What is the legal entity and, and, and kind of how does it operate and what's the governance there? 
Correct. So uh, two things there. So the Arizona Commerce Authority, we're, we're quasi-governmental. It is a public-private partnership. We were, the Arizona Com- Commerce Authority used to be the Department of Commerce, which sat inside oh, okay. of, the, okay. of the state government. Yep. Uh, and a couple of governors ago spun it out so it could be a little bit more agile, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more innovative, uh, and really partner closely with uh, private industry to help drive economic development in the state. So we have a traditional economic development role uh, as an organization. However, we're now pivoting uh, to also include a little bit more of an innovation role, and that's kind of what you see with my um, my role as a smart state uh, vice president. Um, now, with, with the smart region, um, we were able to form, a, uh, around the nonprofit, form a, a separate entity that's really driving that project. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to just sort of pause and unpack that for the purposes of, yep. you know, our, our listeners and, and understanding sort of different models that allow impact and, and scale. And um, down here across Australia and New Zealand, you know, we have in Australia, we have three tiers of government in, in New Zealand, it's kind of the same. They have cities, they have a national government and there's sort of, you know, re- regions in between. So, so sometimes sort mm-hmm. of governance and layers of government um, can either really work for you or, of course, work, <laughs> work, work against you. Just um, let's just go back to some of those stats. So, so the state of Arizona, 22 cities, was that correct? Did I hear that correctly? No, we have so the 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 Greater Phoenix region has twenty two cities. Oh, okay, that's uh, the what it, smart that, the smart region. Yep, that's our membership. Correct. Ah, that's just the region. That's not the entire state. Okay, how many how many cities in the state of Arizona, roughly? I believe we're at one hundred and nine. Okay. One hundred and nine cities. Okay, so mm-hmm. yeah, so so not too far off the state of Queensland, which I think has about one hundred and ten municipalities, where where I'm okay. located here. So um, so okay, twenty two cities. So um. Um, can I ask, can I start, uh, I, I just want to go on a little bit more, this structural yeah. and, and governance piece for a little bit. So, um, now in the U S our, our listeners are all over the world, but in the U S of course, local councils, local government, the municipality, um, does have a substantial role compared to, uh, other places around the world. So for example, uh, I'd imagine your cities are picking up the functions of police, emergency services. Mm-hmm. Often the city owns the airport, the city runs the schools and things like that. So, so those 22 cities that are, you know, part of your smart region, they are locked and loaded full on U S municipalities that have huge responsibilities, service provision, infrastructure provision and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The, the, Specifically, the local governments, the cities and towns, um, are the ones closest to the people providing a majority of the civic services that they receive. So you're exactly right. Police, fire, water, trash, those are all delivered by the cities. Now, the county, which is the next layer up, provides such things as, you know, the sheriff, um, the, the, the jails, the court systems. And then the state is really at that that higher level that looks at, you know, we have the Department of Education, Department of uh, Transportation, Health and Human Services, more broader layers. But it's really the cities and towns who, for the majority, are the asset owners, right? The cities own the streetlights, the streets, the sidewalks, the trash cans, uh, and they're the ones that actually provide the services to the citizens. 
Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to sort of use the time frame of you know you you're at the Institute for Digital Progress just over sort of six years. You've almost been a year at the Arizona Commerce Authority. So let's just call it a uh, an, a neat seven years. So for the last seven years, you've been dedicated and committed to essentially scaling up investment in tech and data to do great things for cities, but at a regional level. Can you can you talk me through the highlights? of navigating what would seem to be at times a brain hemorrhaging process of bringing so many, <laughs> so, so, so many layers of, of, of government and governance together to kind of unite 22 cities. Like what, yeah. what, what are the highlights there, both good and bad of that process so far, seven years? Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. It's been quite the journey. And, you know, I, I have a shaved head and people like to say that the journey is uh, taking all the hair from my head. So we, we <laughs> well, like to I, laugh I, about I, that. I just tell everyone I cut my hair short. I deliberately do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, but you know, in this, so you're, you're speaking my language because I, I really focus what I think I excel at, what I like to do in my day to day life is look at governance models and how do we create innovative new government models that allow us um, to, to do what we want to do and do it better. And so immediately when I, when I worked for the city of Phoenix, I, I, there was just a, a market failure when it came um, to smart cities. There was a, just a, a failure in the business model for smart cities for a individual city. For the first thing, um, you know, since recession of 2007, 2008, you know, we, we drastically were cut, cut down our staff. And so we still hadn't recovered from that time. So we weren't operating at full staffing levels. And so internally, we did not have the time, uh, the knowledge, or the money to really go out and execute on smart cities projects. And that's why everyone around the region really looked at smart cities as a, a big failure up until, up until about seven, seven years ago. And I'll, I'll just run through that a little bit more. So for the first part, time, I mean, as I mentioned, we were short on staff. We, we, all of our staff were so busy focusing on just keeping the lights on in city hall that they didn't have the time or, or the capacity to really look forward and think strategically about, okay, what can we do to build a smart city? What, what is our three, five, 10 year plan? We just didn't have that time internally. Second knowledge. I mean, you're talking about some of these city staff that have been there for 40, 45 years, right? You have, street engineers that are saying, what is IOT, right? And mm -hmm. so we just didn't have the internal knowledge of these emerging technologies. They're changing so quickly that internally we didn't have the knowledge. And then third, financially, a lot of these technologies were very expensive, right? And if we're looking at rolling out these technologies at scale just in one city, the business model for us never, uh, never worked itself through, mm -hmm. right? The technologies were too expensive. The ROI did not justify it. And so what we realized is that smart cities are failing, not because of, you know, any, any of the technology or any of the outside forces, it was a failure because of the internal governance mechanisms, right? And so what we started to do is say, okay, how can we solve those three challenges? And what we realized is that scale was the only way you solve those challenges, right? Mm -hmm. And so this mm -hmm. is what we were able to do. We said, look, alone, you can't succeed at this. You, you can't do it. You struggle. But when we get 22 cities together, right, and you all pay a little bit in, we can actually provide each of you the capacity, the knowledge, 
and the money to actually go out and execute on these projects, right? And, and so that's what we started to do with forming the smart region. We, we got the 22 to, together. And once we did that, all of a sudden, we, it was one of those things where we, you didn't know what we were doing at the time, but industry got really excited, right? Some of the globally leading industry partners, Sprint, Cox, um, Dell Technologies, right? They all said, wow, we love what you're doing. We want to help. And then ASU, the, the research institution came on board as well. And so we had a public-private partnership forming with the 22 cities, the university, and private industry. And what we realized is that at that scale, we were able to solve all the challenges for the city. So think about it like this. In this partnership, right, time was an issue. With, with money flowing from the cities, the university, and the industry partners, we're able to hire full-time staff. That sole job is dedicated to driving innovation technology forward for the region. So we have dedicated full-time staff that it's their sole job just to drive this forward, right? So we're providing capacity and time, people that think about this and drive this forward. Knowledge, right? We're able to now access the incredible um, knowledge power of the university, the researchers, the students, but also the leading technology expertise of the industry partners to provide uh, capacity of knowledge back to the communities, right? So when we're looking at these challenges, and we're looking at the complexity of technologies, the cities can leverage the expertise of both the university and the industry partners to solve this problem. And then third, financing. While one city couldn't afford that technology, it was too expensive, when you aggregate 22 cities together and you leverage the economies of scale and the purchasing power that comes with that, all of a sudden these technologies became a lot, much, much more affordable for each individual city, right? So, so, so we realized that... Yeah, go ahead. So, so are you saying that you're procuring across jurisdictions? Yes, that is exactly what we're trying to build. We're working on building a cooperative purchasing agreement yeah, for yeah. the smart region. Yeah. Right? Um, we, ha, we just realized ha, ha, that. Has that one been, sorry to interrupt. Ha, I mean, no. it, it's often cited that, you know, procurement is the innovation killer procurement is is the all-time you know headache for for sort of smart cities has um uh has that i'm sure there's been a number of challenges along the way but just but just on that one for a moment has uh has has that been a, a challenging one it, you know it has um but it has almost in theory only right because that you know we're we're moving towards uh, getting closer to where we're actually going to look at purchasing technology kind of as a region. Yeah. However, we've been able, we've been able to attack it in little ways. So let me use an example, uh, a quick example. So um, what we've been able to do and one of the biggest benefits of a smart region is simply to bring these cities together on a regular basis to share information. At least information is what they're sharing because a lot of the times, I, I don't know if it's the same, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, but the governments are so busy, they don't even have time to talk to their neighbors, right? Mm. Phoenix doesn't talk to Scottsdale, Scottsdale doesn't talk to Tempe. So no one knows what each other's working on. And so we can't really help each other. And so the benefit of this platform is they're able to come together and share information almost in real time. And I'll show you how this is helping with procurement. So the city of Mesa was wanting to develop a smart city strategy for themselves, right? Their city. Uh, and so they, they went through an RFP process, a request for proposals, uh, and they, they procured a consultant to help them with that process. 
Now, because we were all talking to each other, we helped Mesa in that contract with that uh, consultant say, put a, put a provision in that contract that says, since the city of Mesa already competed this, any city in the smart region can leverage this contract in order to drive this project forward for themselves, right? And so what that did was allowed then the city of Scottsdale to use that same consultant and get that project going right away instead of having to go after their own RFP. So we right. mm -hmm. were starting to use piggyback languages in these contracts uh, to help us drive this technology forward at a quicker pace. And I know that's nothing quite innovative, but the fact that now cities are thinking about it at the forefront of these efforts, right? They're thinking about how can I help my fellow cities, right? How can we do this together? That's kind of what's the innovative part about the model. And, and, and in, this, in this sort of process, Dominic, where is the county as a level of government? What, what, so, what, what can and can't they do? What's their level of interest? What's their role in this? Yeah, they, they play a huge role. I, I, they, so they're, they're the, I think what you were saying, the second tier of government. Yep, so we have yep. city, we have county, and we have state, right? Yep. And then we have federal on yep. top of that. Yep. Um, and so they play, I think, an oversized role. So all the 22 cities sit within one county. Mm -hmm. Right. And so mm -hmm. the, the unique, right, the county runs elections, the county runs our jails, our prisons. They, they don't deliver as many kind of direct services to the citizens. However, they do a lot of, you know, taxing, um, fund distribution and things like that. So they, they play an oversized role and they're at the table with us in this because they realize if they can get their 22 communities that sit within their jurisdiction, more organized, more aligned. Uh, it's going to help them do what they do best. Yeah, um, and so yeah, they've been at the table since day one as well. On the on the private sector, the other P in the PPP. Can you share um, how that process has gone? I mean, you know, we 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 often uh, at times um, experience that somewhat it's becoming more dated now, but it still hangs around, you know, that traditional vendor that's trying to move units of widgets. <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's business, right. They need to make money and they need to deploy and, and, you know, we're all in it together, but um, how has the behavior mindset appetite for your private sector been in terms of wanting to come to the table here? I mean, how have you, how have you had to navigate the, you know, the, the personal and vested interests, which, you know, are, are very, you know, that, that, that's life and, and we need those, but, yeah. but it can be challenging, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's that the industry engagement has been actually some of the more exciting engagement for me, especially from, from my perspective, simply because when I, you're exactly right. When I was with the city of Phoenix, I mean, we would get, knocked on our door all the time by industry partners just trying to sell us a widget for a problem we didn't have right there's technology in search of a, a challenge and so we what we ended up doing is just shutting out all of industry because we didn't have the time to meet with every single one of them and unfortunately for us that makes us lose out on opportunities and so what we we're really trying to do is fix that relationship we, we wanted to move away from the quid pro quo mm -hmm. right i sell you this you get that we go away until you need me again no, how do we change it into a more long-term sustainable partnership where we're working together 
to try to solve challenges, understanding that, it, you know, over the long term, we're all going to win, but some might win earlier than some others. And so what we realized is that industry was just as, <laughs> was just as frustrated with the city model as we were, right? They, they looked at the region and said, oh, my God, I have to send a, a account rep to 22 different communities yeah, yeah. Uh, to, try to, to try to talk to 22 different city managers and 22 different CIOs. And, oh, my gosh, it takes me two months to get in front of one CIO. It's going to take me three weeks. To get, you know, the, it was not a very efficient sales cycle for them. Mm. And so when we told them that what we're going to do is bring together 22 cities and towns together, to think about technology as one body, and we can provide you with that one pipeline in to access 22 cities at once, they said, this is brilliant, right? You've just helped us shorten our sales cycle. You've helped us bridge the gap and build relationships where they matter the most. Um, and, and so they really bought into this model. Now, of course, we had to lay ground rules from the very beginning saying, hey, this is not this is not an opportunity to do a sales pitch, right? This is an opportunity to help us co-create, co-solve challenges that our cities are facing. We want you to be sitting at the table as we're approaching these challenges and tell us what you think the best opportunity is for us. We want to, we want you to align your technology roadmap, right? What you're spending on R and D with what we're trying to solve in our cities. Um, and so they really bought into this model of, Hey, let's, Let's not try to sell. What we should do is try to roll up our sleeves, jump into the trenches, and figure out how to solve these challenges together. Um, and it's it's created a a kind of a partnership like I've never seen before, where you know you have these cities working together, talking to each other with the industry partners, uh, and really working to, together towards common goals. Uh, and I think that it's exciting, and we're excited to see um, the relationships improve with these industry partners because ultimately. And I know this might sound bad, but you know it's 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 business. You ultimately you always buy from who you know, mm -hmm. right? And so if you if you can create those positive relationships, right? If you can show the cities and towns that you're not in this just to make a buck, you're in this to help them solve their challenges and provide better solutions to citizens. Uh, it's going to go a long way in building those key relationships that industry needs to actually be successful in what they do. So. Okay. okay. Let, let, let's pause for a moment. When I, um, and I'll be very transparent, right? When I lay, yeah. well, when I lay a sheet of paper on the table and I draw a line down the middle and I write pros on one side, cons on the other side of scale, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the pros list for me, I run off the page, right? Scaling up, aggregating, <laughs> aggregating demand, economies of scale, sharing risk, um, share, yep. um, get, getting more for less, um, not, not reinventing the wheel, you know, the, the list of pros goes on. Okay. And I, and I just can't understand, and I'm only going to speak to sort of, you know, my, my, my place, which is Australia. I cannot understand, uh, why we are not doing that quicker. Uh, and, and, and we're not doing more of it in terms of scaling up and aggregating demand. So, um, it all sounds beautiful in theory, but surely it's not all unicorns and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> help, help me, help me identify at least a couple of challenges, pitfalls that we do need to 
we do need to be aware of or, or some lessons learned maybe that you've you've encountered a, a, along the way in terms of you know this this scale up smart state smart region idea yeah definitely yeah i, I wish it was all <laughs> unicorns and rainbows that'd be great no i you know it's been, it's been a learning process for us as well and uh one thing i will say right off the bat is obviously with with more scales or with with more scale you get more more hands in the cookie jar you get more personalities you get more cities you get more people uh you get more you know owners of initiatives uh and so of course one of the most difficult things is managing expectations right across 22 different cities with 22 different opinions and 22 different perspectives um you're right we were able to to really sell the vision because the pros are there it all makes sense mm. what the difficult part what the cons are is the execution right yeah. okay what is the governance model? How do we, um, how often do we meet? How do we vote on initiatives? Where does the funding go? All those, the, the, you're right, the devil's in the details, right? Um, and so that's kind of been our biggest challenge is great. We've got everyone excited. They believe in this vision. They believe in the mission. They're bought in. Now what? How do we actually execute? And, mm-hmm. and I'll have to say, I have a fantastic person on our team at the nonprofit. He's now running the nonprofit. His name's Brian Dean, and he is more of the operational guy, where I'm more of the kind of, I want to get out there, build the partnerships, get everyone excited, and then turn it over to Brian, who's more of the operational side and actually works through the details of, okay, what's our workflow? How does this all actually execute when, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it? And so one of the things we, we learned right away, or kind of, I would say, got our hands slapped was, I was out there saying, hey, this is the vision for the smart region. Um, we got them to agree. And then, so we thought we knew what they wanted, right? And so the first time we got the 22 cities together in one room with the industry partners, we said, here's our plan, here's what we're gonna do, uh, and here's how it's gonna look. And immediately they said, what, what is this? When did you do, like, you didn't ask me if this was okay, you didn't ask me what, you know? And so we thought that because they said this was a great idea that we could just run with what we thought was best. But we really forgot about the importance of having people feel like they're co-creating the the initiative with you Mm. you know we had a mission we had a vision we had a strategy laid out on day one and we realized that we had to push pause and we had to go back to the drawing board and we had to hold a couple of workshops where we brought everyone together and we co-created a new mission statement we co-created a new vision statement right and we really uh co-created a strategic roadmap for the future Mm. right and so that was one of the biggest learning lessons is although people might agree to the vision, you have to make sure that you're co-creating and collaborating the entire way. You have to make sure people feel part of the process or, or, or it's going to stall. Uh, and so I think that was one of the biggest learning uh, lessons for us is don't get too far ahead of yourself, right? Make sure you're always uh, engaging and activating your partners uh, that you have. Can I, um, can I switch gears just a little bit and talk about economic development as a context? Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of Arizona Commerce Authority, and you mentioned, you know, it's, it's uh, br- briefly, you mentioned its sort of history and, and how, you know, it, it spun out of being a, a, a fully owned government entity into sort of something more quasi at the moment. What, um, what has or hasn't, economic development as an idea and an agenda played in either helping or, or hindering how, how much of 
how much of this smart region is about economic development? It, it was largely driven initially by economic development, right? Um, our whole thought there was how do we attract and provide the platform for innovative companies to relocate to Arizona with their technologies? And, and here's our thought process behind that. Um, what we realized with the smart region is what, what we had was we were aggregating demand Right, so we were aggregating cities. Cities have challenges. Challenges need to be solved by technologies. And so we realized that we had gotten, we had aggregated demand on one side. And then so we thought to ourselves, if we were able to leverage these challenges that the cities were facing and build a marketplace of challenges, it would allow us to recruit the technologies or the technology companies that needed the urban living lab test environment to prove their technologies to come to Arizona to test it in our region, to prove it in our region, and to scale it from there, right? And so our thought process was, this could be an economic development recruitment for us. Uh, and, and kind of what we called that was Arizona Urban Labs. So the goal again was, okay, um, these technology companies, you know, they need access to assets, right? These these companies that need street lights, trash cans, um, uh, water infrastructure, you name it, they need living labs to prove their technology out. If we were able to build the smart region platform where we imported entrepreneurs, we imported industry, we imported startups, provided them with this test lab to test their technologies in a living environment, prove their technology works, scale it to the 22 cities, they now have not only proved the technology, they now have a customer and they have a scalable marketplace, right? They don't just have one customer with one city, they have 22 cities ready to purchase that technology on their back end, right? So the goal here was recruit them in, prove their technology, provide them with the 22 cities to buy that technology. Once they're here, then they can export their products and services to cities and towns all over the country, right? The, the model is every city, like 90% of the city challenges are common throughout the country, mm. right? We all have potholes, we all have traffic congestion, we all have air pollution, we all have water shortage, right? So if we could provide that test environment, Test it here, prove it here, solve it everywhere else. That's kind of the the main focus of the smart region. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well let's uh, let's um, let's pivot to our final point that I wanted to raise, which was just data, data, data. I, um, <laughs> I I've been um, I've been taking the opportunity more and more on our um, discussions with our podcast guests to sort of take a bit of a a temperature test and get some views around just the world of, of, of data. And, and one of the reasons there is that sometimes we get trapped into just technology, technology and technology, but then kind of a lot of the time, the purpose of the technology is to capture data and then convert to insights, make better decisions. So I just want to kind of bring it further upstream up the value chain to, to data for a moment. So you've got a keen interest in, in, in data. Can you, Share with me uh, the, the the role of data in the smart region. What does data leadership look like? Uh, and any any other interesting kind of developments, pet projects, uh, research interests that kind of you think might be mm-hmm. relevant for this conversation around scale and the idea of smart region. Yeah. No, data is playing a huge role 
in what we're doing with the smart region. And we didn't realize it at the very outset of this, but it's actually going to be one of the main drivers for us. And so um, what we realized is that through the smart region, we were actually providing the perfect opportunity for the cities to work together around uh, critical data governance, data privacy issues. We didn't realize it, but all of these 22 cities were trying to grapple with how do I develop a data governance policy, a data privacy policy for my city, my town? They didn't have the resources, the knowledge, the capabilities to do it, right? And so each of them were struggling to find their own ways. Now that we brought them together, one of the main things that came out in our strategic roadmap was region of data governance and data privacy policies that all of them can buy into and all of them can adopt. Um, we, they realized that not only do they struggle to share data with jurisdictions next to each other, but they struggle just to share data between departments internally, right? And so this issue and complexity around data was a major hindrance for them to really start to drive innovation forward. Uh, and so again, the power of the collective group being able to say, hey, let's do this, let's try to solve these data challenges together, thereby creating one uniform data governance and data privacy policy, it's gonna help us all out. Um, it, and so that's that's the path we're taking now. We're, we're gonna start to work with our cities around this idea of a data, data governance and data privacy policy. And of course, we wanna create kind of a foundational layer and then allow the cities, whether they choose to or not, to either uh, create more restrictions or less restrictions based on their, their community's needs and assessments. Um, and so we really see the smart region as helping drive that forward. Now, why we're excited about it is because of the massive ability for us to drive really data-driven decisions moving forward once we can aggregate this data. I mean, think about um, the level of insight you can get if you're aggregating traffic management data across 22 jurisdictions, um, the ability to perform um, you know, aggregated analytics on that is incredible. And the benefits that it's gonna provide, the insights that it's gonna provide to each municipality is gonna be incredible as well. Uh, and so that's why we really see um, a, a very powerful future here for us. And we're looking at a couple of different mo models about how do we go about establishing this. And one of them that has, seems to have the most legs right now is around a data exchange and it's setting up a civic data trust. Uh, the civic data trust would be you know, a nonprofit or some sort of public entity that could maintain, operate, and control the data for the 22 jurisdictions uh, and provide that level of transparency and trust that the citizens, I think, so desperately want. Um, but it allows us to be able to kind of manage and operate the system uh, as we move forward. So those are some of the just the thoughts out loud uh, that we're, we're looking at data around. Well, you've certainly piqued my interest just there with the uh, the data exchange and, and civic data trust. And I put uh, I put dibs on uh, making sure I can come come back and do another episode <laughs> to, to go deeper into that with with someone in the team. Um, yeah, and can I just like because the example is so fresh in my head right now that yeah, we we're yeah. literally working on 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 yesterday. So one of the major challenges we're facing right now is the city of Phoenix has the number one highest pedestrian fatality rate in the country, right? More pedestrians die on our streets than anywhere else in the country. It's a major challenge wow. for us, for the city of Phoenix, but for the region as a whole, right? Because all the other cities 
face it just as bad, but City of Phoenix is the number one per capita, right? And so the, I believe the homicide or the police chief came to us and said, I can't do it anymore. I can't go out there and pick up another dead body off the street. We got to figure out how we solve this challenge. And we realized one of the main things that we need to start with was data, right? We needed to figure out what was happening and how it was happening. Um, and so we started to say, okay, what, what are the source of data that the city's collecting? Uh, okay, there's one source of data. Then we said, wait, the county and the jail and other things are, are collecting another source of data. Okay, that's another source. And then we have partners like State Farm, who as an insurance company is, all, is collecting mm. a tremendous amount of data, uh, of, of data specifically around incidents. Yeah. And so we started to say, okay, how can we share this data? And we didn't have the mechanism to do it, right? Because State Farm was hesitant to give it to the city because of FOIA issues and competitiveness, right? The city didn't want to give it just directly to State Farm or, or ASU. Or, and so we realized that, okay, we needed, how, how can we build an entity where mm. we can bring all this data together, scrub it, and then anonymize it, and then provide the data insights back? to each of these parties, right? Because each of these parties would benefit from this data aggregation, but no one knew how to physically, or I guess it, the government's the model around solving this. And so we're getting closer to that because we, we, we realized that as a nonprofit, we could, we could take the data from State Farm. We could take the data from the city. We could take the data from private, other private industry partners. We can then scrub it, clean it, protect it, and give those insights back through a data mm -hmm. exchange. Uh, and so we think we're getting closer to that model. And I just wanted to say that in case there are people listening that are working on this or looking at it uh, to reach out, talk to us, uh, share, share your insights, because we think that's the best model because we initially thought if we gave it to the university, that would be best. But if that data flows into the university, people can still Freedom of Information Act request that. And so you would be able to trace the data back to that owner right, which is problematic for people like the insurance company or other private industry like OEMs. Um, so, but as a nonprofit, it, you couldn't. And so we could be that kind of clearinghouse, uh, that independent third party that could do all this data analytics and governance and scrubbing uh, to provide the analytics back. So that's kind of where we're at. And that's like one challenge that we're trying to solve through this, this model. Um, I'm very interested and I'm very excited to see where that goes. And my, my comment remains that um, we're going to come back and have a further conversation <laughs> to, 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 to dig in just to that. And indeed we might get a uh, potentially subject to, uh, you know, an offline conversation, maybe get sort of a, an online collaborative project planning process up and running and, and yeah. sharing. So um Okay, so um, we, we, we've got to wrap things here. Just a final one, Dominic, I suppose from a more personal perspective uh, or professional perspective, um, kind of uh, subject, of course, to global health pandemics that we're in the midst of, uh, what is exciting you about 2020? Um, what, what have you got for the rest of the year on your books that uh, you're really looking forward to? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, it, you know, it is a very difficult time. Uh, of course, you know, what is top of mind right now is the pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis. And I will just say, to put in this, this whole conversation into perspective, just think about it this way. You know, you know, as you know, the state and local governments are at the very front lines when it comes to dealing with this crisis. But it's also well known that, you know, despite how important state and local governments are, they're chronically underfunded. 
which puts additional stress on these governments that are trying to work to minimize the spread of this virus. And so understanding that is exactly why we created the smart region. The cities are under, the state is under a massive amount of stress to deal with the crisis of today. They need a third party, an outside entity that's job is to help innovate and drive public-private partnerships forward that can solve challenges, right? They need a partner that can break down silos and build up partnerships. Um, and so that's what the smart reason is. We're, we're the platform that's able to leverage complex relationships, connect these resources, and solve challenges. And so right now, I'm excited to showcase how the smart region can solve and can help and can build capacity in a time of crisis. And so that's what I'm really excited about working on now is, is really showcasing what we can do and how we can do it. For the future, my goal um, is, to me, a smart region by itself is a very smart. And so we need to connect ourselves into a larger network of smart regions. So how can I help not only other regions within Arizona, but other regions throughout America and maybe the world? How can we build a uh, a network of smart regions everywhere because it's it's we really need to embrace the network paradigm and that paradigm is with each node in the network you add that network becomes exponentially stronger right so how can we create a smart san diego region a smart phoenix region a smart dallas region a smart columbus region you know and a smart region in australia a smart region in new zealand and how can we bring this network of smart regions together to solve challenges at a global scale that's kind of the big vision I have. That's kind of where I'm trying to work towards. Uh, and I think, I think we're going to be able to do it. And one of the favorite things I love to say, which I'll, I'll end with maybe two favorite lines that I love to say. One, uh, what really helped us get started here in Phoenix was I told people that collaboration is the new competitive advantage, right? The regions, the cities, the states that figure out how to collaborate, they're going to propel themselves to the forefront mm. of technology innovation. Mm. Those cities, those regions, those states, that failed to collaborate, that failed to work together, they're gonna to be left to the digital dustbin that is the you know, fourth industrial revolution. Mm. Uh, so collaboration is the new competitor advantage. I like to say that. Uh, and then I also like to say, whether you think you can or you think you can, you're right. So we might as well think we can and let's go out and do it. Yeah. Well, I'm lining right up behind you there. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> D Dominic, this, it, it's been a great conversation and really appreciate you uh, dialing in from, uh, uh, from Phoenix. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. And if anyone wants to reach out, questions, comments, uh, I'm sure they can contact you to, to get my contact information. Absolutely. And uh, for our listeners, again, that was um, Vice President at the Arizona Commerce Authority uh, looking and dedicating and leading on all things smart regions, Dominic Papa. Um, and for our listeners that aren't subscribing to the podcast, you can do so. Go to your favorite place or platform where you get your podcasts. You will find us there. You can head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com to check out all the episodes uh, and also you can send us a note if you wanted to share any thoughts or request any uh, ideas or interviews you can get us on email chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com my name is adam beck the host of the chronicles we look forward to bringing you another episode soon thanks for listening <laughs>